In the previous share, we spoke about Ravashi's intention in writing the Gemara. The structure is in order to teach us how to think, to train us in the analysis which we will need in order to develop the Torah Shabbal Pera on our own. Now, how do we put this into practice? In other words, obviously, part of learning then is not just to know what the Gemara says, which we've already spoken about, the ability to say out clearly, step by step, what the Gemara said. That's a great first step for understanding what happened in a sugya. But now we have to apply the principle of analysis, which is what the Gemara is trying to teach us, so that we gain from the direction of the Gemara as well. How do we do that? So this is the next logical step in the structure we've built so far. Again, the first point is focusing on what the Gemara is saying. We're not getting distracted. When we get distracted and we look at other Mephoshim, we look at other questions, we want to argue between ourselves the Pshat or the meaning of the Pshat, then we lose focus from the Gemara's flow. So the first point is to keep focused on the Gemara. The second, when we've been, gone through a piece of Gemara, whether it's a Mishnah, a, an argument, an Amud, a Sugya, so are we clear enough on it that we can say outside, step by step, what happened? Because without clarity, what happened in the Sugya, so it's not just that we're going to forget. As we spoke about, it means we, really, we never really knew it in the first place. But that's what we asked after that point already. We've revised the Gemara well enough that we can say it outside. Shaklevataya, which means the, the flow of the Gemara. The Gemara asks, Gemara answers, Gemara brings the proof, Gemara disagrees with the proof. So now what's the next step? <coughs> the next step is to follow the logical flow of the Gemara. Which means, very often the Gemara starts a sugya with a certain, what we call Hanacha, a certain point of view in mind. And the Gemara challenges that. The Gemara asks questions on it. And the Gemara discusses what came out in the end. Did the Gemara remain with its initial assumption? Or did the Gemara change its mind? What, the, what is the Havamina, which means the starting point, the assumption, the same as the Maskana, which is the conclusion? Or do things change along the way? The things the Gemara originally thought are no longer the case. For example, one of the Gemaras being learned here is Elu Matthias. It's also a well-known Gemara. So let's just start with that to show what I mean. The Gemara in Elu Matthias begins on the Mishnah which says that one of those things which is considered lost and doesn't need to be returned, that can be kept by the finder, is Paris Bishosa Rabbim. A person finds fruit scattered in the street. Fruit has no identifying feature, has no semen, and therefore it's considered that if a person finds fruit scattered in the street, then he can take it. The Gemara asks the question of a kama, how much fruit are we talking about? And the Gemara says we're talking about a cave in four amas, a certain amount of fruit and a certain sheer of space, a certain size area. Now, the Gemara asks the question, what are we talking about? 
if a person lost the fruit, so then even if he lost a bigger quantity and he has no idea where it is, then it should be there for the taker to keep. <coughs> and if we're talking about it was stored there, it was stacked there, and therefore a person didn't abandon the fruit, on the contrary, he knows about it, he's coming back for it, so even a smaller amount. So the Gemara answers, we're talking about fruit left in the in the threshing floor, in a place where they used to pack the fruit, to organize the fruit, not on a regular street. Okay, so it's an answer to a question, but if we're following the flow of the Gemara, we'll understand the Gemara has now changed the position. The axiom is, we were, the starting point was, we were talking about fruit you find in a regular street. And now the Gemara is saying, no, we're not talking about a regular street anymore. We're talking about fruit found, found in a place where you pack fruit, in the threshing floor. And if the Gemara now is talking about fruit you find in the threshing floor, then in a normal street that won't be the case. And therefore, what the Gemara's initial point was, we're talking about a cover of fruit in four amos, doesn't apply everywhere. It only applies to the threshing floor. In a street, it won't be totally in a cup of warmers. Now, that's just the first point of the Gemara. But I spoke it out to show the point I want to discuss now. The Gemara never told you that it's changing its mind, and therefore the halacha of the fruit found in the regular street will be different. The Gemara just says, we're talking about a threshing floor, and leaves you to understand on your own that if this is the din of the threshing floor, then... What we originally thought, and that is if you're talking about a regular case of fruit in the street, isn't applicable here. It's only applicable to a threshing floor. And therefore we have to ask the question again, what would be the din on a regular street? And this is just an example, but it's always like that. The Gemara presents an argument, the Gemara presents a fact, and now we have to go back and rationalize where does that apply to? And how does that change what we thought originally? The ability to do this is only when one's clear on the step-by-step stage of the Gemara. In other words, the first thing we spoke about, the Gemara asks a question. The Gemara gives an answer. What's the question? What's the answer? If a person's not clear on that stage, he definitely won't be able to analyze the various stages. He's not yet sure what the Gemara is doing. But once a person got to the first step, and that is that he's been able to clarify step by step by step the flow of the Gemara. So now the next point is to look back on the flow of the Gemara <coughs> and analyze the direction of the Gemara. Is the Gemara explaining its first opinion? Is the Gemara arguing with its first opinion? Is the Gemara changing the opinion? The Gemara is a question. Does the Gemara resolve the question? Does the Gemara not resolve the question? And if the Gemara did resolve the question, so there are a number of ways. Did the Gemara find the proof of the question? Did the Gemara use an assumption, a svara, a logical uh, and point of view to answer the question? Did the Gemara say it's totally in Amechlaikis? And then, then that also brings us to the next point. If something is based on Amechlaikis, the Gemara asks a question and the Gemara answers is going according to this opinion. If that's the case, that's also a change. Originally the Gemara assumed something and we assumed that was unanimous. Now we see it's not so unanimous. It's an argument. If that's the case, 
what how far does the argument reach? And not up to that stage yet, but it'll, it'll need to be asked at the, at the later stage if it's actually an argument, then how do we hold? And therefore, you could have times when the Gemara has a Mishnah which says a very clear halacha, and that won't be the halacha because the Gemara has decided that the Mishnah is going according to one opinion, and in this particular case, we hold like the, the differing opinion. So therefore, this analysis is our next step in learning. <coughs> so therefore, you've given three or four questions to ask yourself when you learn what could... Uh, what to look out for. There are more as well. I'm just giving these as examples. The first point is, does the Gemara's initial points, Hanachas, have a remain, or does the Gemara change them? Second point, when the Gemara gives an answer to something, does that mean that the Gemara's halach is case-specific? It's only in this particular case, and therefore the Gemara's answer is really a qualification of the rule. What do we say now? The Gemara is just giving you an example and now they will apply other cases too. It's only according to one opinion. And lastly, when the Gemara asks a question, did the Gemara satisfactorily resolve the question? Or did the Gemara leave it as a question? Okay, what's this principle called? So there's a Gemara in Abad, is that one of the Gemara's which give us rules how to learn. One of the Gemara's which give us rules how to learn. And the Gemara there says, the name of Rava, the saying of Rava, the Gemara says, a person should first ligres vahada lisper. First the person should be goyres, learn the text, and afterwards come and explain. We already said before, the first name of Rava. And the Gemara says, no, it's Haskes of Shema Yisrael. Haskes, and listen to Kla Yisrael to the Torah. And the Gemara wants to know, what, are the, what does the word Haskes mean? And the Gemara says, that it break up into two. First, Has, which means keep quiet. And afterwards, Kates, dissect it. And we spoke about that at the beginning, and that is the first step in learning is, listen to what the Gemara is saying. Without questions, without looking to explain it, looking to <coughs> bring in more opinions. Kates, which means analyze, break it up and discuss each individual point, is the second point. But the first point is, listen to what the Gemara says. Pick up just the Gemara. Before we see the Rishoni, before the questions, before the Marimokomis, before even the questions we want to ask. So that's one that, what's one name in the Gemara? Has case. First listen. And keep quiet, which means you're focusing on what the Gemara is telling you, not what you want to ask. And afterwards, Kates. Afterwards, you can analyze it, you can break it up. Now we come to the second rule. And that is, A person should first get the Gersa. What we call in Gersa now is knowing what the Gemara said. The Gemara asks, the Gemara answers, the Gemara proves, the Gemara brings an argument. And afterwards, the person is to explain what the Gemara is doing. And that's an analysis of the process of the Gemara, and that's what we're talking about now. To analyze the process of the Gemara. I'll give you another example where this is very practical. The Gemara brings quotations from different people. 
Are they agreeing with each other? Are they arguing with each other? Are they offering different solutions to the same question? Or not? What, 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 what are the, what's their <coughs> relationship, so to speak? Two statements of the Gemara with each other. So sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's an argument. Right, Abayah says one way and Rav says something else. For sure it's an argument. But sometimes the Gemara has a question. And the Gemara brings two or three Amaraim. And each has a, has a statement to make. Various answers to the question. And you also can ask the question. Are they all good answers? I'm just giving different alternatives. They're coming to argue with each other. And then, if we're becoming a pro at this idea of analysis, then the next question we're going to ask ourselves is, when we have an argument, is it a two-way argument or a one-way argument? Which means, sometimes you have an argument which each opinion doesn't agree with the other. So, Rava argues with Abai and Abai argues with Rava. Sometimes it's a one-way argument. Which means, one of them holds something which the other one doesn't. So therefore, the one answer, they will both agree on. But one Amayra has a Chiddush and he wants to suggest something different. And that's argued about. And therefore, when you have an argument in the Gemara, it's important to look at it and discuss, is each opinion arguing with the other opinion? Or no, it's only a one-way argument. With one of the opinions saying it's straightforward, it's accepted. And what the second opinion is saying is a Chiddush, and that's why it's being argued about. Now, we're still talking in a more general sense. <coughs> the Ezra Hashem, we're still going to analyze the arguments in the Gemara and how to go through the questions of who's arguing with who and what are they arguing about. But at this stage, we're just talking generally about applying the ideas that we learned that the Gemara has a methodology the Gemara is trying to teach. And therefore, we're trying to pick up on that. We're trying to learn that method. We're trying to learn that kayak of analysis. And once again, it could be that if a person has a lot of experience in learning Gemaras, it's something which comes to him, let's say, without focusing on it, maybe. But it definitely makes it so much clearer. If a person focuses on this point, a person puts his mind to trying to follow the Gemaras method of analysis because then he picks up for himself the way to analyze something. And a person can see for themselves if they're doing it properly. Because when they get used to the Gemara style, and they get used to what kind of questions the Gemara asks, so then they can come out, very, very often they'll be able to predict what the Gemara is about to ask next. The Gemara's answers we might not always have, because it's based on information we don't always have. But the Gemara's questions, a person is often able to pick up on his own. Because the Gemara works with a certain method. And when a person gets used to understanding the style, understanding the way the Gemara thinks, if you can call it that, so then he trains his mind to think the same way. And if that's the case, then he can understand already Mirosh what's going to come next. And the beauty of the system is, is that when a person gets used to it, you'll see that the way the Gemara works isn't haphazard, isn't random. The way the Gemara works is in a very similar method, so to speak. Based, obviously, every sug is different, and the facts in each case will be different, but the Gemara's way of analyzing, and the Gemara's way of what questions to ask, so it follows a certain mahalach, so it follows a certain procedure, which a person can learn.
the person can pick up on. And like I said last time, when you look at the Adam of Hashem, Talmudim of the Gemara, whether it's uh, the Rishonim like Taisus, maybe the Rashba, whether it's the Achrayim, whether it's the Chivasvarim, we see that they're all Talmudim of the Gemara. We see that they all follow the same process of analysis in their writings, in their arguments with each other, as the Gemara does as well. This is the matter of the Talmud Bavli. We know that there were two, the two Talmuds is the Talmud Bavli, the Talmud Yerushalmi. <coughs> Even though the Amaraim of Eretz Israel and the Amaraim of Bavli lived in the same times, there's a tremendous difference between the structure of the Bavli and the structure of the Yerushalmi. And we also see that what became the base, basic set of Svarim, the Torah knowledge, is the Talmud Bavli, not the Yerushalmi. Not because the authors of the Yishami were any less great. Like I said, they were the contemporaries and they were the friends of the Amaraim of Babel. So why was the Talmud Babel so much more widely learned, more highly considered, and became much more the basic magnum opus of Jewish learning than the Yishami did? And the answer is the Yishami was written in a period of persecution. And if that's the case, the authors of the Yishami, the Amaraim who spent the time writing it, their main objective is that the Torah shouldn't be forgotten. And therefore, they wrote as quickly and as much as they could, in as brief a form as possible, <coughs> so that we, we, would ha- we wouldn't lose the information, so to speak, that they wanted to record st- as part of well, the, the Jewish knowledge for the future. We don't find the same development of arguments, of discussions, of questions and answers, of looking for proofs, as we do in the Bavli. Mashiach in the time of Bavli was written in a period of relative calm. Rav Ashi, who wrote it, was in good terms with the Persian king and he was given a certain degree of autonomy. He also had a lot of time. It took him 60 years to write the Talmud Bavli. And therefore, at much is much more structured in developing the skills of Gemara, so to speak, that the Talmud wants us to learn. And therefore, of course, the opinions brought in the Yerushalmi are in a balance of a par. They're equal to the opinions brought in the Bavli. But as a source of us learning, being able to acquire Mahalach, so there's a tremendous difference. The Babli became the teacher of Klai Yisrael, so to speak, in learning the methodology, learning the Mahalik of how to learn from the Gemara. I want to finish by sharing with you an amazing Chiddush of Rashi. Amazing Chiddush of Rashi, which we can learn from Rashi's methodology in learning Gemara. It's not a Rashi you'll find on Shas or even on the Torah. But we have another sefer from Rashi, also called Chivas Rashi. Rashi's responsa. Rashi lived among the Rishonim of France. And we find in the Rashi's Chivas that he corresponded regularly with the other Rabbanim of the time. Obviously Rashi was considered the god Ladar. And his position, his opinion was highly sought out. But there were others in the Dar also who argued with him sometimes. 
And the particular chiv I'm talking about was a chiv written by Rashi to his son-in-law, the mayor of Romberg. And the background for the Shaila was like this. There was a certain halacha in Hilchus Trefus, whether something's kosher or not, that Rashi ruled was Osir, and most of the Rabbanim of France disagreed with him and held was Mutter. But nevertheless, Rashi was, like I said, the god Ladar. And uh, people didn't want to disagree or go against Rashi's opinion. And why Rabbi Meir, his son-in-law, wrote in this Shiva was that he wrote he had heard that Rashi had changed his mind. And Rashi had recanted on his position to Aserit, and he had wrote to ask Rashi that was true. So listen to Rashi's answer. And like I said, there's something for us to learn from that. Rashi writes back to him, he says, Regarding what you asked me, did I change my mind about this particular halacha? Rashi says, that, firstly, you should know I did not change my mind. And not only that, I'm not going to change my mind because I'm not able to change my mind. Why? He says, because the, my opinion wasn't just my opinion. It was the opinion of Moreno, our teacher, the God Ladar before Rashi, Rabbeinu Gershom, And therefore Rashi says, being as it's I consider this to be Rabbeinu Gershom's opinion. Therefore, I'm not at liberty to change my mind about it. Now, why did he consider it to be Rabbeinu Gershom's opinion? Says Rashi, even though I never discussed this particular topic with Rabbeinu Gershom, and if I never asked him this question, and I don't know what he would hold about it, but Rashi says, I'm a student of Rabbeinu Gershom's methodology in learning. Libi v'nafshi the way I think, the way I understand, is from Rabbeinu Gershom. I'm a Talmud. I was trained by Rabbeinu Gershom how to think, how to analyze the sugi, how to pass halacha. And therefore, the mahalach I used in discussing this case, says Rashi, I'm convinced is what Rabbeinu Gershom would have said. It's true, he never asked Rabbeinu Gershom. Rabbeinu Gershom didn't discuss this topic with him. But because Rashi considers himself to be a student, a Talmud of Rabbeinu Gershom, if that's the case, Rashi is convinced that the way I'm paskening, that's how Rabbi Nogesh would have paskened. And if that's the case, Rashi says, it's not up to me, I'm not at liberty to change my mind. Because this is the psak. The psak based on the principles of how to paskend that I learned from Rabbi Nogesh. And what you learn from this Rashi is what it means to learn a mahalach. That a person can learn the principles, the methodology, the style of how to think, so well that even though I never heard a specific point from somebody else, from a teacher, but I'm convinced enough that I've learned from that teacher how to think that I know what my teacher would say. I know what my teacher would say in this situation. I, I've been trained I've, to analyze the sugya, to work on understanding the, the same style, that this is what he would say in such a circumstance. And really, that's exactly the point we're trying to explain here. What we want to get out of the Gemara isn't just the information, what it says in the Daf. What we want to get out of the Gemara is that same clarity that we've picked up a style on how to think from the Gemara. That the Gemara has trained our minds. And therefore, we have to focus on looking to do that. We're learning in Gemara not just to know what the Gemara say, but to learn from the Gemara how to approach this, how to analyze it, how to explain it. And that way we gain much more than just the information that we learn from the Shas. We gain the Mahalikh and how to think. Mahalikh and how to understand. So we can say similar to Rashi, 
daiti v'libiyo machshavti mimeno. The way I understand, the way I think, the way I analyze, I've learned from somewhere. I've learned it from the Gemara. And so last time, that's really the lesson that Ravashi wanted to teach us. That's the Ikka skill, the Ikka koyach that the Gemara can impart to us.